going live, going live means <laughs> stop talking. <laughs> no, Ludmilla and me were in deep conversation because uh, she is the expert. And I said to her, what's it like being the expert? And Ludmilla says, we're all experts in some way. And I went, we're not. No, we're and not. And so did you. And you agreed with me. <laughs> Here we go. How many years? I thought I have been here in this, sharing the studio with a bunch of experts. Yeah. No, well. <laughs> Sorry to break that to you, Ludmilla. Acting classes. <laughs> yeah. All right. It is Understanding Property this hour. And as you can hear, Ludmilla Yamalava is here. She's the managing partner at HPL Yamalava and Plethgut Legal Consultants. So please get your text in right now, 4001, or you heard the phone number there, 423-1010. Just before we get to your text, and we'll come back to those around 5, 520 20 today. There's a text in here saying, guys, is there a discount for paying RTA fines today? <laughs> yeah. In one of the Emirates, there is. Uh, yeah. This is Umal Coin. Traffic fines have been slashed by half to mark International Happy- Happiness Day. So if you have any traffic fines in Umal Coin, you better go down there now and pay because you're going to get a 50% discount on those. That's right. We'll give you some more updates on the local news stories that we're following just after six o'clock tonight. Understanding property on Drive Live. So any of your legal questions, that's what we're taking today, 423-1010. First of all, let's just get a brief update on the topic that's come out this week. The Dubai Land Department, the DLD, has issued a warning that you should only deal with registered brokers. You may have already heard about this this week. We were talking about it here on the show. Nearly 33,000 transactions were made by brokers in Dubai last year, and the authorities want to make sure we're protected. Makes sense. So only deal with brokers who hold a real estate broker card. That's what they're saying. Ludmilla, I'd love to talk to you about this briefly. What are the risks if you don't use a real estate uh, broker with this kind of legitimate license? Have you had any cases? That well, you've absolutely. On? And in fact, this particular warning is, is nothing new. The regulation requiring for all brokers that should be licensed and therefore encouraging the public to use only licensed brokers has been around for quite some time. And um, the the challenge of enforcing this particular regulation has been that if you are dealing with a broker who is registered and uh, you're accusing that broker, for example, of misconduct, then you can report them to the land department. The land department has a registry of that particular uh, individual and then they can impose fines. However, if you're trying to report someone who is not registered with the land department, it's more difficult for them to enforce or implement this regulation because they don't have record of people who are not registered with them. So that's a bit of a, a bit of a nuance uh, to this particular regulation. But in general, of course, it's always best to deal with let's using Tim's um, term experts and brokers who are registered with uh, the government are obviously those who are legally uh, practicing in the UAE and also as of a few years now, I think if my memory serves me right, about seven plus years, uh, all real estate brokers that are to be licensed with the land department or RERA, you need to have taken courses. And therefore, the brokers that are licensed obviously have have to have a minimal level, some some level of expertise and understanding about the property market. So therefore, if you're dealing with somebody who is licensed, obviously they, at least in theory, need to know and understand the market. Whereas if you're dealing with somebody who is not licensed, it's, it's you're acting on your own risk because the people may not know the market. Uh, so and and therefore that's so that's one and two if you want to take any kind of recourse against those people it's a lot more difficult 
to do so because they are not licensed by any particular entity, so therefore enforcement against them is in practice more challenging. But otherwise, absolutely, it's just like with any other practitioner. You want to be dealing dealing with a licensed doctor. You want to be dealing with a licensed accountant and financial advisor, insurance provider, lawyers, and so on and so forth. Same thing with the real estate brokers. It's a lot safer to deal with registered brokers. And as you would expect, in 2017, there is an app for that. The DLD have a smart brokers app, so you can check if they're appropriately licensed. You can check that they are above board. It is legit. Yeah, for sure. It's the thing is what happens, or at least in the past it's happened more so per- perhaps as, as it does now, is that brokers, sometimes brokers who are not, or I guess who act as brokers but not licensed brokers, yeah. they will introduce their leads to licensed brokers, and so they'll kind of operate vis-a-vis a licensed broker. So often you'll have multiple brokers involved, and they share the fees between them, but in fact the person you're dealing with may not necessarily be a licensed broker. But on those documents in the application we're referring to, there's a person that's listed that is actually licensed with the authorities. So there's a lot of that as well. And just for those investors who are out there, just be mindful of that, um, that this, this does happen quite a bit. But if you're satisfied with um, the service they provide, it's obviously your choice. But as I said, the... Uh, the, so the enforcement and the um, the regulation of these individuals are a lot more uh, complicated. Just quickly on this note, uh, before we move on and go to the text lines, if you do deal with a broker without a proper license and something does go wrong, is there any recourse? Can you do something about this or is it pretty much a lost cause? It's your own fault. In practice, yes. It's In practice, it's your own fault because you, there could be, for example, a criminal case you can bring against that person because for misrepresenting. But building a criminal case uh, for matters like this is, is complicated. In any event, you don't really have a recourse uh, if, from the commercial standpoint. So if you've paid something to this person, a criminal qu- uh, case is not going to get your refund. Mm. That person is actually going to be prosecuted by the, in the interest of the state but not you as, as um, a civil claimant so therefore it's you won't get anything out of terms yes you you won't really benefit okay when we come back we'll go straight to the text lines and because there are so many texts coming in already please call us because that is the best way to get in touch with Ludmilla directly if you have a story if you have a question for her 423-1010 come on the phone lines and uh and and chat to us so that is the phone line that you can call right now they're open Esther's there manning the phones you can chat to her and she'll put you through to us or or send us a text. You can equally do that, 4001, or for free via the Dubai I Messenger app. More of Understanding Property next. Understanding Property on Drive Live. Ludmilla is here. She's going to be answering your legal questions this hour. Let's get stuck into it. Pete writes in, first question of the day. Ludmilla, how does one go about getting a power of attorney from a person who is out of the UAE? This person is ill, cannot travel back to the UAE, and this POA is meant to be used in Dubai for the sale of property. What to do? Okay, so there are two parts of it. One is the process for getting a POA, foreign POA tested for the use in the UAE, and the other part of it is uh, the content of this POA. So I'll get to the content later. So in terms of uh, getting the, the process for having a foreign POA accepted in the UAE, it's a fairly complicated but not an impossible process. And this is because the UAE is, UAE is not a signatory to the Hague Convention. So the process is, for example, let's let's pick a country, maybe 
Amsterdam, Netherlands, obviously Amsterdam is not a country, but the Netherlands. So if you want to do a POA in the Netherlands, so that POA needs to be in a language, either in English or Arabic, but obviously because in in, uh, in the Netherlands the official language is Dutch, so sometimes you actually have to translate the POA from English to Dutch and then back from uh, Dutch to English because then you have, so it first has to be notarized by a notary in that country. So since the notary in um, in the Netherlands may not accept the POA uh, in um, in English, you may have to translate into Arabic into Dutch first. Then you have to take it to the, uh, to the UAE embassy in that country, uh, and then uh, and obviously they will not accept a document that is in Dutch. So you'll have to translate it either into English or Arabic, uh, and then they will attach their stamp. And then after that, you'll have to take it to the uh, or actually before then, sorry, you have to take it to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in that country, and then to the uh, to the UAE embassy. Then it comes back here, and then you have to take it to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs here and have it re-stamped here. And then ultimately, you'll have to do a legal translation of that POA. Is so everyone following? Absolutely. <laughs> That's, so so if you want, it's complicated, but it is compl- it it's not done. impossible. It's complicated. And there are services that should provide um, this service from A to Z. Not in all okay. countries. In some countries, it's a lot more complicated. You actually have to do everything yourself and take this document from authority to authority. I'll tell you right now, we are testing several documents in the U.S. And, it, uh, and it's the same sort of process. And uh, different countries have slightly different requirements. But, but at the end of the day, it always has to go to the UAE embassy in that country. But certain countries don't have the UAE embassy. So you have to go to the neighboring countries countries, the closest country that has a UAE embassy. And all in all, I will tell you, it will cost approximately about $1,200 per document uh, just to have it attested because the stamps from the UAE embassy and the other authorities cost about that. I mean, obviously, there's some variations, but they are, um, they're not inexpensive. And uh, um, and then furthermore, because of all the authorities and all the stamps that are involved, it can usually takes anywhere between three weeks to about five weeks, depending on the country. So okay. it is possible, but that's the process. And that's why we often advise a lot of our clients uh, want to do the same thing. They want to grant us power of attorney or they want to give somebody power of attorney in the UAE uh, from outside. But our advice often is actually a lot more economical for them to travel to the UAE because if you travel here, you can do it in literally just a matter of a few hours and then travel back. Okay. Uh, so that's now that's in terms of the process and in terms of the format. So for uh, for Pete's question here, um, they want to sell the property. So that means that this particular uh, POA has to include the details of the properties that is that is at issue. And this is because in the last several years, the land department has introduced the requirement that if this is if you're dealing with a sale of the property because the risks of abuse are so much higher, so the details of that sa- of the property need to be included in specific. And that is, for example, you should make sure that include the name of the property and, and perhaps even uh, reference to the title deed. And so that's that's one. The other part of it is that um, receipt of money because the, the authorities here are quite cautious about allowing somebody else who's acting on, on the back of a power of attorney to accept money on behalf of the seller. So make sure that you have a specific language in the power of attorney that gives you the right to accept that money, but be prepared that the land department may not allow for it. And in fact, they will issue, they will only allow for the check to be issued in the name of, uh, of the, the landlord directly or the investor. Pete, good luck. We're going to the phone lines now. Andrew joins us. Um, Andrew, simple question, difficult question. What have you got for Ludmilla? Uh, A a bit of both, I think, really. Um, I've owned properties. um, I've owned property in this particular community since 2004, uh, myself and my father. And they've uh, the 
the management company have decided that they will backdate the deficit service charges from 2004, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, all the way up to 14 honours, um, just in one year. Uh, they've realised that they've had a deficit of many millions, um, had the accounts audited, and now are asking everybody that's still owns these properties from that period okay. to, to, to backdate to pay, and pay that. Okay. To backdate the deficit. Andrew, uh, Ludmilla is shaking her head already. Is this this is not allowed, Ludmilla? Uh, sorry, no, I just shaking my head ahead about something else. Okay. Uh, but Andrew, it's what you're describing has happened before with a few other management companies and unfortunately there is no clear or easy solution. Uh, the best way to approach it is to approach the uh, RERA and see if um, they um, they can mediate the, this particular issue because normally all kind of service charges have to be approved by RERA, and, but there isn't anything uh, that's in the law or any kind of circular that addresses the issue of backdating service charges. So the best way is still to start with RERA and see if, if they can um, help uh, mediate the dispute. Otherwise, it's you know depending on the amount involved, your your only recourse maybe is just going to court. And how often do you see this panning out in the tenants? Uh, sorry, in the in the owners' favour, Ludmilla. And how many times do you see it in the developers' favour? To be honest with you, in practice, we've seen that most most owners actually just accept and so to speak, take it on the chin and then just pay the service fees because in practice it becomes very difficult when you have that sort of a dispute either with the developer or the management company because then they, they face all sorts of inconvenience, especially using the property uh, until the dispute is resolved. So in our practice, most of the time they either strike some sort of a middle ground uh, or they just accept and pay the full amount and just can move on. Andrew, good luck with your negotiations. Just try RERA first. All right, thank you so much for calling in. That's Andrew there on line two. I will go to the phone lines, text lines in just another few minutes. Keep them coming through, 4001. Or get in touch like Andrew did on this phone line, 0443 Ludmilla Yamalava is here to answer your legal questions. And we'll get back to that one. You are actually shaking your head at Ludmilla, uh, just saying your explanation about uh, the um, services offered through notary is incorrect, Sam's saying. We'll get back to that. You can uh, respond to Sam in just a few minutes. No matter your preferred communication, stay in touch with Drive Live only on Dubai Eye 103.8. Yes, you can get in touch at 423 We'd love to hear from you or on 4001. Tim and Alex here with you. If you, there is anything else happening on the roads, please do let us know. Get in touch with us. Uh, let's just go straight back to the text lines. Phone calls coming in thick and fast as well on 423 Understanding Property. On Drive Live. Ludmilla Yamalava is here to help you out. So if you have any kind of legal questions, get in touch with us. It's usually understanding property, so it's all mainly mm-hmm. about property questions. But we are going to answer a lot of other uh, legal issues today. And then, of course, tomorrow it's Career Connect. So if you have any employment-related legal questions, best to leave it for our employment uh, legal specialist tomorrow on the show from 5 o'clock. So anything else, uh, feel free to get in touch for double zero one. Let's go to the text line, and then we've got uh, Stephen waiting on the line to, to chat to us. All right, then. Sooner rather than later, get questions in as soon as you can. It always uh, tends to be a rush just before 5. Ali texts in, what's the best way for me to protect my assets from unscrupulous relatives 
in the event of my death as a Muslim? That's Ali's question for you, Ludmilla. Well, really, the only uh, the only way to do it here in the UAE, because as a Muslim, you are subject to the Sharia law, and there's no um, real way around it, unless you have some beneficiaries that are non-Muslim, then you can will uh, one-third of your estate uh, to what's called a non-heir, but they have to be uh, non-Muslim. Uh, or not part of your family. So you can will uh, up to one, uh, one third of your estate that way. Otherwise, the only other way to pr- for you to protect or to ensure that those beneficiaries who you want to designate as your beneficiaries inherit your assets, the best way to do it is to transfer the, uh, the ownership to in their name during your lifespan. Right, okay. I hope that helps you out. Stephen joins us now on line one. Stephen, thanks for calling in. You've got an issue with your landlord, is that right? Yeah, um, yeah, that's right. Uh, back in uh, 2015, I uh, started negotiations with my landlord on a tenancy renewal, um, and he wanted to step outside of the rear calculator. Um, we couldn't get to a, an agreement, so he subsequently issued me a notice through a notary public um, that he was going to vacate the property. So it was, it was all done above board. Um, we moved out. Um, and in between him issuing the notary public and me moving out, we continued to try to negotiate, but he wanted way above the rear of calculator. So we then moved out. It subsequently turns out he's re-let the property. Um, and my question is, is the fact that I tried to negotiate with him after he issued notice um, going to have a negative impact if I go to Rira? Or are Rira very black and white on this? Hey. In short, no, it will not have a negative effect. Um, The rear will be, to use your terminology, black and white, only because they would be relying on the law. And the law clearly allows you as a tenant to bring a case against the landlord if you are evicted on wrongful grounds. And what you describe would constitute wrongful uh, grounds, and so therefore you can seek compensation. Now the law does not clarify or does not make it um, explicit as to how that compensation is going to be calculated, but based on experience, you have to prepare to show what additional damage or expenses you have suffered as a result of having to move uh, to an alternative property. Obviously, it has to be of similar specifications. Uh, and as long as you have uh, proof and uh, receipts, then you have a very reasonable ground to obtain, uh, uh, obtain co- uh, compensation. But the fact that you're trying to negotiate and pay a higher rate only actually helps you to show that the landlord is actually evicting you on wrongful grounds because wanting to increase rent is not one of the allowable grounds in which they can evict you. How difficult is this process if Stephen were to go? It's and not complicated at all. You do not need a lawyer. Uh, you you just need to make sure that whatever you submit to RERA will be translated into Arabic and has been legally translated. But otherwise, the law is, is fairly clear, if I may say so. And the precedents, there have been plenty of precedents uh, to that effect. So the, the, the court knows what, the, it, what it's doing. So it's, it's not complicated and it can be done within just a few months if you do it, if you plead obviously correctly. So, Stephen, you can try your luck. Good luck with that one. Thank you so much for your call. Thank you. All right, text line. Tim, something standing out to you there. Lots coming in on 4001. Uh, it's an interesting one here, actually. Uh, AK is asking, Ludmilla, I'm living in a rented villa. I've been there three years. I plan to vacate upon the owner's request. Do I have to get it repainted? Is there a rule about timing when an owner has to get it repainted? There is no rule, but there could it could be contractually agreed. So the key is to review your contract. Uh, sometimes in the contracts there could be a clause requiring you to uh, to repaint the villa 
or there could be a, cl- a clause that uh, requires you to reinstate the villa into the state, a similar state um, which you um, founded when you moved in. Now, if there is a clause that's more general like that, or, and therefore a little more ambiguous, um, then obviously it's a matter of proof because uh, then you, the landlord would have to prove that, in fact, uh, when you moved in into that into that villa, that it was um, somehow that the paint was much newer than uh, what it is right now. And this is actually quite uh, rare. We, we see that sort of documentation um, um, upon move-in quite rare. So, you, in other words, landlords do not usually keep track of, for example, here is the photographic evidence what the kitchen appliances uh, look like or what the paint on the walls look like. So most of the time um, there will not be evidence to that effect. But um, but if there is a specific clause requiring you to repaint, that, that's contractually agreed and you have to accept it. Let's go straight to the phone lines now. Phone uh, line three. Actually, Ilias is with us. Ilias, you bought an off-plan apartment back in 2007, but it hasn't gone to plan, I suppose you could say. What's going on? Yes, I bought an off-plan apartment in Sport City back in 2007. Um, it's still not completed, although it was obviously um, promised to be completed by 2010. Um, I was actually on site last week. I was in, in the UAE. Um, and I found that there's been no workers on site for five months. The project seems to have stalled. Um, the, my issue is that um, the developer is now asking me for additional money. He's claiming that um, the actual apartment is larger than what was in my SPA. Um, so he's so now that it's been, money. so now he wants more money because now it's larger he than he what was in your. Money. Okay. Yeah, it's larger than what was. And also, he's also insisting that I have to buy parking. Um, I, I have a, I've had an agent looking at trying to sell the property for me, and I have a potential buyer. Uh, but the developers obviously stalling this because he won't issue an NOC unless I pay the additional money for the additional okay. size and the. Uh, we're having a little bit parking. of an. Uh, sorry, Elias, we're having a little bit of an issue with your phone line. Uh, just if you could go off what Elias has said, Ludmilla, what can he do at this uh, stage? Sure. Well, so there is a, there's a legal side to it, and there's a practical side. From a legal standpoint, developer cannot uh, unilaterally change the. Term of the contract so in other words unless the contract allows for the developer to uh, uh, to uh, to request a payment for for sort of the I guess the difference in the property um, size then um, then you will be contractually um, bound by it but it doesn't sound like that's the case so therefore the developer in general cannot unilaterally amend any terms unless you agree to them such for example such as including parking right now uh, for additional fees so that they cannot enforce on you however so that's the legal side. Uh, from the practical standpoint, however, if you do have a buyer who's interested in buying, this is where you uh, run into an inconvenience because the developer will not necessarily issue that NOC unless you agree to a higher uh, to a higher mm-hmm. payment. So my recommendation is just speak with this uh, potential buyer and see if they would want to accept those terms. It may be that financial still makes sense for them, uh, but otherwise you have to accept that the developer just may not grant you the NOC and that your only recourse would be to go to court. You just have to either fork out or go to court in that case. Correct. Okay, Ilias, thank you for your call. Let's go to the text line. In my new tenancy contract, in the additional conditions, the last sentence says, this is Zaid, text again, it's mutually agreed that this contract is valid strictly for only one year, renewable up to a maximum one 
plus one year only. After the third year, the tenant has to vacate the premises. What does this mean? Is this acceptable? Asks Zaid. I would presume that this is um, and this is a contract that's drafted in for Dubai and for Dubai property, and it excludes the DIFC. Um, so, if that's the case, then that particular clause does not actually uh, stand um, is is not legal or will not be enforceable because there is that there's a contractual term, but uh, no contract can uh, can violate the law or can conflict the law. And there is a law that specifically uh, states that. Uh, that every contract, real estate con- or re- uh, rental contract in Dubai right now basically is renewed on the same terms and conditions from year to year unless parties agree otherwise. So therefore, uh, if at the end of your, let's say, one-year contract, that contract renews for another year and for another year for another year. And so it's, it, it's, it's irrespective of what parties agree on in the contract. So um, in this case, if there is that clause, and most of the contracts have those clauses, but in practice, they are not enforceable. However, if you are in the DIA, IFC, if it involves a DFC property, then there's a different law that applies. And in that particular case, that uh, contract would be enforceable because the law in the DFC allows for it to be enforced. Ludmilla Yamalova is here only until six o'clock. So if you have any legal questions, get them into us quick smart. Four do- Four double zero one. Was that correct? English? I Quick think it smart. was, wasn't Quick it? Yeah. Was good, yeah. yeah. Oh, good, good. Yeah. Big league questions. Four double zero one or four two three ten ten. I'm second guessing myself now. Um, right, get in touch with us and ten more minutes with Ludmilla. But uh, any kind of employment legal questions, please keep them till tomorrow. We'll have Career Connect from five o'clock, from five to six on the show. So anything else uh, legally, you can text in right now, and we'll get to that next. We want to hear from you. Find us on Facebook. Tweet at Dubai I 103.8 FM. Afternoon. It's fast approaching 6 o'clock um, and it is Understanding Property. Ludmilla Yamalava is here. She's the managing partner of HBL Yamalava, Yamalava and Plethgut Legal Consultants. Understanding Property on Drive Live. Get in touch. We've only got about eight more minutes to answer your questions. Uh, we'll go to the phone lines in just a moment. I believe Zoe's going to join us. But before then, lots and lots of texts, Tim. Mm, lots coming in. Let me go to Asanka now, if I can just find this quickly. Uh, district calling uh, is uh, how I uh, call my place. Uh, they have a deposit of 2,000 dirhams, but once bills reached 900, they disconnected the air conditioning, but still add monthly charges. They want me to pay all outstanding and reconnection fees as well. Uh, I queried. They said it's according to the agreement I signed. It's unfair. It's unfair. Can I do anything? And to be honest with you, no, because basically you're dealing with an authority and um, there isn't really, you don't really have much um, room for, for negotiation and much leverage. So my recommendation is just pay, accept it and uh, move on. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Saeed, uh, Saeed writes in, sorry, and says, um, here we go. They gave me three, the landlord has given me three days to move out which I can't do because I haven't found a property to move into. And after that, he sent me an email saying, now if I move out, I'll have to pay a penalty of two months' rent. What's going on there? seems a little bit bizarre. Uh, it does. That seems really over the top. Well, well in short, there's a lot of uh, little sort of, it's a multifaceted question. We don't know many details. But in short, uh, the if a landlord wants to evict a tenant, they uh, by law, they're required to give at least one one year notice. Um, so a three day is not going to be accept- acceptable. And so you can stay on the property for, uh, for at least one year. And then even then, the landlord has to provide you with properly uh, served legal notice, um, notifying you of the 
the eviction and the, uh, the grounds for eviction. So if you want to stay on the property longer than you can, uh, you may just have to pay higher rent if a rear calculator allows for it. Okay, here's a question for you. Alex, as you know, is leaving today. Uh, Nagaraj texts in and says, how is it possible to legally make Alex stay with Dubai Eyes Drive Live for many more days? <laughs> it's a is great question. <laughs> Just tie me down. Yeah, that's a, yeah that's, uh, that sounds very legal. <laughs> that's what we're going You'd be to on do. board with that, wouldn't you, Lidl? That's how we've kept it here for three years. I don't <laughs> know if we can keep this up. I haven't left this chair for three years. I'm starving. <laughs> All right, uh, let's go back to the text lines. Here's one on social media. We've never had this question in before. Is, are there more details on the licensing needed in order to sell products through social media how do non-uae or gcc nationals apply for this license because this has been an issue they were cracking down authorities in the last few weeks on accounts that were selling products. Correct. So this is a very good question. What it refers to is there was an announcement early in the week or last week. Uh, there's a new law now allowing for a setup uh, for online license or, or um, basically internet, internet licenses. However, it only applies to, for now, to um, the UAE nationals. So until further notice, there is no such law that would allow or grant that same sort of license to non-nationals. Okay, there you go. Uh, Abdi writes in and says, Hey, Ludmilla, I have a property um, where the uh, developer has decided to increase the charge for the beach and gym access. We've had this one before by almost 100% to 9,000 dirhams per year. This is in addition to the annual service charge. Lots and lots of these questions have been coming in um, along the same lines over the last few weeks or so. Just can you clarify what's happening here to those of you who do uh, live in this area and the service charges have doubled? Is there anything you can do? Well, in brief, sir, all service charges must be approved by RERA. So, therefore, number one, request uh, to see a uh, confirmation that your service charges and therefore the increase of the service charges has been approved by RERA. And if it hasn't, or even if they have, uh, but you want to dispute them, uh, your only practical recourse is going to RERA and trying to figure out from them why they have been increased and whether they can do anything about it in terms of maybe moderating the increase. So if you've got a few people together to go down together, does that bear any more weight? You just have to go and talk well, to them it's, individually? It's, it's always, well, it's the more people will report, um, obviously, the more, uh, perhaps, you know, the more seriously uh, the authorities will uh, will treat this, but it doesn't, it doesn't need to be a mm. group of people. It could just be, you could, uh, you can approach them as an individual. All right, let's go to the phone lines once again to line two. Now, we have a question in uh, from Zoe. Zoe, thanks so much for calling in. About pets, what's going on here? Uh, hi, thanks for getting me on. Um, so my question is basically around keeping pets, uh, domestic pets at home. Um, we traveled here with uh, our two cats and uh, chose our place based on the fact that they would allow animals to live there. Mm. Um, halfway through our sort of rent period, we've been here for a few years now, so um, it just kind of got introduced, I think, in the second year that um, they don't want people, the homeowners, to have pets anymore. Um, kind of panic uh, was caused, and we were able to sort of speak to the owner, who's also the landlord, and request uh, that they give us a waiver on that. I've seen people with dogs coming in and out. We have cats. And so I'm just kind of wondering, you know, I mean, it seems like an emotional sort of decision, just uh, one day having the law, maybe they're not having it. So 
So I don't what, know. Okay, so what can you do? Yeah, well, so th- number one, there is no law that addresses the situation of, of, of pets and, and how they should be regulated. So there is no legal re- resource that you can rely on. However, then there is a contractual uh, argument that you can present. So in your particular case, you've just described that you've been on the property for several years, and obviously you've moved in there under certain representations, and uh, limitation to uh, to having pets, pets, pets was not one of the conditions uh, upon which you've um, you've agreed to rent the property. And uh, so therefore, what's happening right now is that the terms are being, once again, unilaterally changed on you, and that cannot happen unilaterally. Um, so legally speaking, you can challenge it, uh, but practically it's uh, difficult because it's not necessarily, it sounds like not, it's not the landlord that's uh, that's changing uh, the terms of the lease, but rather the management company. So your, your best recourse is just to challenge them and tell them that legally they do not have, uh, they do not, do not have any reason or uh, background in, in being authorized to increase um, uh, or to, I guess, to prohibit pets. Uh, but um, certainly we have seen other management companies that then just start imposing penalties and there isn't really much more you can do other than go to court. So they don't have anything legal on their side, but also Zoe doesn't have anything to fall back on legally on his side. Well, le- legally he does because ultimately what's happening is that the terms of the agreement are being changed by one side mm. and that and no agreement can be changed by one side. Every agreement requires consent of both parties. So in this case, you are not agreeing. So therefore legally that cannot be done but in practice because management companies control or sort of manage the properties they obviously can can introduce other practical um, issues or challenges to mm. actually enjoying properties which is what we've seen in practice so good luck i'm kind of in the same situation so um thank you very much for that text that clarifies it up clarifies it for me as well do you know what we have so many texts but we also have calls coming in so let's just go very briefly to dylan on line three dylan we've got about 30 seconds or so if you can uh, ask your question right now you've got a problem with your tenancy contract is that right yes exactly okay. what's going uh, on actually uh this building I'm staying in, it belongs to a certain bank, and uh, they 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 changed the uh, the real estate agent, and uh, my, I gave all my documents to the previous real estate agent, and now they are saying they didn't receive uh, all the documents. Okay. Uh, are you a tenant or bank. are you an owner? What's going on here, Dylan? I'm a tenant, and. Uh, this bank, the building belongs to a bank, and it is. Uh, they have given it to a real estate agent for the. Uh, we have to deal with the real estate agent. So, Dylan, I'm sorry, so just in the interest of time, because I only have a few seconds left. Uh, so, it sounds like it's just a question of documentation. So, I mean, yeah. Now I, yeah. My question is now I am staying in this place without a tenancy contract. It's been about six months, and. Nobody knows where my documents are and uh, what's my best option? Should I go to the municipality? Sure. So so just because you don't have a a new agreement doesn't mean that there isn't a valid tenancy. So you don't need to worry about that. The law protects you. With regards to documentation, my advice is that I would assume you have copies of the same documents you've uh, produced to the previous uh, agent. And it's just in your interest to produce another copy to the new agent just because it sounds like you want to continue to live in this property. So it's in your interest to just finalize this issue so that you can have 
a new contract issued and have it registered with the jury. Uh, so I, that that's my recommendation. Dylan, thank you very much for your call. We need to go to the news. Ludmilla, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. This is pretty much my last show with you here we'll in miss studio. You very much, Alex. I'll miss thank you, you coming in. So much fun. You've been fantastic, Ludmilla Yamalova is the managing partner of HPL Yamalova and Plethka Legal Consultants. On a, on a positive note, I'll never have to stumble over that name again. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. It will be somebody else who will. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming in, Ludmilla. Thank you.